Welcome to Unfiltered with Bobby and Luke. My name is Bobby Stutzman. I'm Luke Mohat. And Luke, it is Tuesday, December 8th, and we are 17 days from Christmas. 17 days from Christmas, and the countdown that I've got my eye on, 43 days until Inauguration Day. Absolutely. Now, because of time, we've got a special guest today. Her name is Jessica Coulterman. Uh, we're going to get into that interview on the other side of our intro here. Uh, additional topics that we're going to discuss in addition to that interview. Uh, fake news and how it spreads. 27 GOP elected members of Congress is the only ones that have actually come out publicly stating that Biden is, in fact, the president-elect, Luke. Shocking. 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 <laughs> uh, and then we're going to get into uh, Georgia. All eyes are definitely on Georgia with the Senate races. And let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's be serious. It's a real... This is... Excuse okay, me. Okay, shut up. I buy my own things. I pay my own bills. These diamond rings. My automobiles. Everything I got about it. Boys can't buy my love. Buy my love. Yeah. I do what I want. Say what you say. I work Great selection there, Luke. Yes, we, you know, hey, why, why is that a podcast hosted by two dudes letting her rip with some Kesha? We'll be doing so over the next couple of episodes, and that is recognizing that women do indeed run the world, and our guest today is certainly no exception to that rule. She is the Director of Administration for Lincoln Premium Poultry and near and dear to Bobby and us as a classmate of ours. Uh, she graduated one year behind us in 1995. She is a proud resident, or excuse me, in 1997, excuse me. Uh, she is a proud resident of Seward, Nebraska and serves as the city council person for Ward 1 in Seward. Ladies and gentlemen, Jessica Coulterman. Welcome, Jess. Hey, good to talk to you guys. Welcome to the Great. pod. Absolutely. Great to hear your voices. Yeah, great Absolutely. to hear you. Great to hear you. And I, you know, before we even get into this, you know, I want to I want to hold up Jessica also as an example of a, a testament of somebody that, you know, we've known each other for a very, very long time. And, you know, we, we've always had a friendly relationship. And for for for, uh, <clears throat> you know, this reason and that, you know, our 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 views on things, our uh, political leanings, uh, this and that have never really 100% lined up. Is that fair to say? Well, um, except for that brief stint when you were a college Republican, but other than that, yeah, we really- We, don't talk, we, we don't talk about those days anymore, but um, <laughs> I bring it up because I guess we're friends in the way that the world used to be, and excuse me for using the word should, but in my, my uh, 
belief the way the world should be, which is that you should still be able to have a friendly relationship with somebody, even though, holy shit, wait for it, you don't necessarily agree on everything. So right. Correct. You know, you know, exactly. And I, I think that is, you and I are probably a very good example of not agreeing with everything politically, but still having a very good relationship and friendship. Exactly, exactly. But uh, we didn't we didn't get you on here to reminisce about us. We got you on here to talk about some very, very serious topics. Um, and that is, you know, first and foremost, you are on uh, the front lines of keeping the national uh, the national food supply moving. So why don't you start off by telling us how, uh, you know, what is Lincoln Pro uh, Premium Poultry, how you got involved in it, and uh, what, what exactly, as the director of administration, you do now and what that means for COVID. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I came to Lincoln Premium Poultry uh, originally uh, through my work in economic development. Uh, as, as you know, agriculture has always been um, something near and dear to me. My, my grandparents were dairy farmers. I grew up around the farm, spent time, you know, Seward's a very agrarian community. Um, so spent time with a lot of, of agricultural people my whole life. And um, Nebraska is driven um, through agriculture with our economy. And so through my work in economic development, I was asked to come um, to Fremont, Nebraska to help recruit a company uh, who would put in a food processing facility that would also be tied to a lot of family farmers around the region. And um, through that relationship development that obviously happens in when you're recruiting large companies, um, I ended up coming to ultimately work for the company once they decided to come to Nebraska. And that was not in my original plan at all. Uh, but I was so drawn to the leadership of the team and how they wanted to build this, this business with the focus on the people and, and the workers, um, the workforce, the team members. Um, and when you're given an opportunity to build a business, uh, you know, which we have 1,200 employees, um, I was given that opportunity to build this business from the ground up um, and really shape and drive the culture the way, you know, I think a culture should be, which is focused on the employees, the employee well-being, um, treating these team members, you know, like family, um, really the kind of business my parents had. My parents had a small um, insurance company in Seward and, you know, those team members that they had, those were like family members to us. Um, and, you know, to take the, a culture that in a small business like that and be able to build something like that on a large scale level, that was something I got really excited about. So I ended up doing that, came here, um, eventually, you know, kind of you go through the startup and then, oh yeah, we need to give you a title. So we'll give you the title of director of administration. And basically what I do is I oversee human resources. I um, oversee company culture. I handle all the governmental focused things. So whether that's working with any of the state agencies, the Department of um, Labor, Department of Environmental Quality, um, Department of Economic Development, uh, revenue, you know, I, I do a lot of the outward facing things for the company, including um, media and communications and community relations as well. So um, I like to joke, I'm kind of the person that handles anything that didn't fall in another bucket. <laughs> and so that's <laughs> how I ended up with COVID. Ah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, so, oh, hold on. Um, so when, 
I'm sorry, say that one more time, Jess. When COVID started. Oh, you wound well, up uh, covering the, right, gotcha, gotcha, sorry. When COVID started, um, um, so basically when COVID started, that's how I ended up with COVID is that we um, had to find a place to manage that. And so I became the point person on our COVID task force and get to oversee um, all things COVID with a really great team. So it wasn't something I had hoped to do in my life, but here we are. So mm -hmm. um, working with our team members to protect them and, and making sure that we take care of them well if they were to get sick. So how has that gone, Jess? I mean, we, we have so 1,200 employees, uh, you know, poultry processing. We, we've, we've heard the horror stories of how companies doing it the wrong way. Uh, what, what has it looked like to uh, do it the right way? Well, you know, our, um, our focus was we had three main goals as we undertook this. And we started our task force in late February um knowing this was coming so we got ahead of it i would say earlier than a lot of different groups um so the first thing number one number one priority in all of it is do right by the employees period full stop like mm -hmm. take care of all um number two lots of communion making sure that not only did our team members know what is going on but that the public knew what was going on. And that ties into our third thing, which was transparency. And so those were the three fundamental building blocks that we built all of our responses on. Um, and we've done, just like everyone, all the, you know, check all the boxes on doing things to protect our people in terms of physical barriers and temp check stations and the extra cleaning and all of the... The thing, you know, the things that you would, the CDC says, do these things. Um, the things right, that, right. that OSHA says, do these things. We've done all of that. Um, and we've been doing that since very early in the process. I will say um, being tied closely as a company to a major retailer did probably give us a slight advantage in getting some of the materials that we needed to make a safe environment. So we had access to um, masks as an example. Um, you know, probably we, we put ourselves into that, reaching out into that supply chain very early. Um, and so we were able to start handing out masks to our people at, at the, like the very end of March, I believe, early April, when um, I think it was only a couple days after the CDC said like, hey, yeah, master thing, let's do that. <laughs> so um, hand sanitizer, remember when nobody could get their hands on hand sanitizer, we were able to get our hands on that. Um, Clorox wipes. <laughs> we um, were able to, you know, get things like that because of our relationship to uh, the retailer that that um, gotcha. we produce our chicken for, which is Costco. So, gotcha, uh, gotcha. you know, we did all the steps, all the things that you would want. But I think the thing that I'm the most proud of, we produce our chicken for, which is Costco, was in addition to all the obligatory protections, we really have tried to treat our people like they're our family and, you know, paid the time away when they get sick. Um, we did some things like if you had a, um, if you were considered vulnerable, like if you were 65, for example, 
we had those people, it was their choice, but we had them given them the option to self quarantine when we were at the, the peak of this um, mm. to protect themselves. So, you know, we did that for, for some of our people up to 12 weeks while they were paid. I mean, those are the kinds of things that, you know, if, if it was something that was gonna help our people get through this, we tried to find a solution. Um, yeah. So we had online learning and, you know, schools shut down very quickly. They pivoted to how we're gonna do this and get these, you know, materials into the hands of our, our team, you know, our, our classes. So I, you know, I called the school and said, can I help distribute the materials here to the, the people at our plant who have kids at your school? And we helped coordinate that. Um, we, you know, when we had those like little blips where people were worried about getting their hands on meat in the stores, we just gave away meat to our team members. So they always had meat at home for their family. Wow. That's wonderful. Wow. So even, um, even when we with, had, you know, um, we called Costco and tried to do like some special, you know, um, times where they could get in and, and shop when the general public wasn't there. So those are just some examples of things we've done to try to take care of our team members. It's really, you know, it's really outstanding to hear companies, you know, having that corporate responsibility and understanding at the end of the day, that you know it's it's your people that really make you know the company and so that said even you know people are people and they still go out into the world when they're out um, <clears throat> when they're not on shift and i know that uh you've had some cases uh, amongst your crew and maybe even some losses and i'm just curious how that has impacted you um you know how does that impact you personally your team members um you know, would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, you know, we've been really fortunate in that um, our, our curve within our organization has been flat the entire time. And so Great. that's something I'm, I'm very proud of um, that, you know, we didn't have this rush of, you know, massive amounts of people that had COVID at the same time. We've had kind of what I'll call a trickle throughout. Um, so I'm proud of that. But that being said, you know, people are human. They have human interaction. And we did have um, two team members who we have lost to COVID. Um, you know, I, we have 1,200 team members. And it, it was the first time we lost a team member. I, I personally felt like this gut punch um, when, yes. when it was brought to me that this person had passed overnight. And of course you get emotional because like I said, these in my world, these are like family members to me. Um, and then my next, you know, my next thing went to how do I support the team members who knew those individuals well? Like how do mm -hmm. I comfort and, and, you know, give them the support they need to process this as well. Um, you know, um, I, I, we asked the families if we, you know, could share the names of the people with our other team members, um, you know, so, and fortunately both families were very gracious and let us grieve these people publicly. So there was no big secret about who they were or, you know, um, these families were, both families were very complimentary of, um, the two individuals who worked here, both of those individuals apparently loved their jobs. And so the families connected with us in a positive way 
because um, they felt like we um, were part of the family. And um, I just have to tell you, one of our team members who passed, um, I'll just use his first name. His name was Jose. And um, what one of his team members that worked with him on his specific area of the plant told me they loved about him is he sang while he worked. <laughs> and um, uh, as someone who loves to sing very loudly when I think no one is looking or listening, you know, <laughs> in the car, in the shower, those types of things, um, he, when they told me that, like, it just, it made me really sad that he and I had not sang together. And, and I shared oh, that with his family. Sure. And, and his daughter said, she just laughed and she said, that's so my dad. Like, that is, that is, you know, the joy that he brought to people's lives. And he would, you know, while he was, he was, I believe he was in um, a certain part of the plant where he was packed, I think it was the back end of the plant. So he's packaging. And, mm-hmm. um, he, while he was putting things in these boxes, he would just sing. That's great. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the kind of person he was. Um, the other one, um, I got to know his family as well. And um, his wife actually, after he passed, asked if she could come be a part of our team. And she joined our team and she now works oh. here. And he was also really um, a happy person. And he was one of those guys that whatever he, he would help anybody. Like he would just, you know, give you the shirt off of his back. And he was very playful and he made people laugh. And, you know, that's the thing about this, this disease or, or this virus is it, it, it's taken joy from the world. Both of these individuals um, were joyful individuals that contributed a lot and, um, they're just gone too soon. And absolutely, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to process. Um, it, but as a leader of a, of a team, you have to, um, you also have to find ways to help your team process. And so, you know, we, we of course offered, you know, the, the services that you would have available to, um, you know, provide grief counseling and things like that. Um, but just letting people talk about coming and sit down with you and talk about the individuals, um, that I think was helpful um, to have that opportunity to sit down and, and visit and just share that they were sad and share that this was, you know, a struggle. And I think it, as a leader in this crisis, our, our world pandemic crisis, if you want to call it that, I think as a leader, you have to balance between setting you know leading by example and and being strong and all those things but you also have to show vulnerability and you have to show humanity that you're also human um and so i think that was like for me the the balance i had to find um you know the the balance between hey it's gonna be okay but also i'm really sad too or i'm scared too you know and so finding those those balances um, as leaders is I think where, you know, you, you have to, you have to, you have to figure it out. And I think as an individual, that's just where I came down is trying to navigate that line. Right. Right. I think that's an excellent, um, kind of segue to, you know, the other thing, or one of the other many, many things that you do in your life. So you've, you know, beyond being the point person for a team of 1200 people around COVID, you also are navigating being a civil servant 
in the city of Nebraska, where you grew up and still live to this day, and sit uh, now as the city councilwoman for Ward 1. And we know uh, municipalities around the country and around the world, really, have been dealing with COVID. So here you are, I think, uniquely positioned, you're, you know, running point for LPP for 1,200 people. You know, what of that knowledge, what of that experience have you been able to take with you uh, in your dealings with uh, the city council? So, I, you know, one of the things that with the role I play in my job, I speak to multiple health departments, uh, you know, on a very regular basis. Uh, for a while there, it was daily. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, in all these different health jurisdictions in Nebraska, um, they all have the same goal, which is prevent people from getting COVID and prevent the spread. Um, and so because I talk to those health departments so regularly, um, and, and in addition to them, um, the state of Nebraska uh, Department of Health and Human Services, but then also UNMC, which from my perspective, UNMC is not just a state leader in, you know, global health preparedness. They're an international leader in global health preparedness. And that's who advised us here at the facility on the interventions and protections we put in place. Um, we invited UNMC's um, team in to, to walk through this entire operation with us and, and say, what can we do to protect our people better? Um, and, and their feedback, you know, we went through all the, all the, let's call it plexiglass barriers and all, you know, all the extra cleaning, all the things you're supposed to do. And they keep doing all that, but the single most important thing you can do is enforce um, your mask wearing for your Absolutely. team members. And I mean, that, that's just, you know, it's, it's the single most important thing you can do. And when UNMC tells me that, that's mm -hmm. what we did. Um, we put in our mask requirement. So everyone in our facility was required to wear a mask. Um, but, you know, we had, to, we had to get them all in hand, right? right. Like you had to have, make sure everybody had their masks. Right. But our requirement was in place um, a couple days after the CDC came out with that recommendation. And so we've had that requirement in our facility since the beginning. Um, you know, the, the thing is, is people say, well, it doesn't always prevent COVID. No, you're right, it doesn't. But it prevents your surges of spread. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and your mm -hmm. massive events where you have 250 or 300 or 400 people out at one time. And so if you can keep the curve flat, if you can keep everybody from getting it in a very, you know, comp compacted close proximity to each other, you can spread it out over a very long period of time. It's not going to affect you to the same degree as if you had a half of your team at once, I'll have COVID. Um, and so the mask use is what we did. It worked, it has worked for us. I cannot say, you know, I can't make everyone wear masks when they aren't here at our facility. Um, right. You know, I do interviews with everyone who comes back who's had COVID and I always ask them, how can I do better? What can I do to, to help protect our people better? Do you have any ideas? 
And one guy looked at me and he goes, can you make everyone wear their masks when they're not here? (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, I can't. I wish I could, but I can't. But that was like, that's the biggest recommendation that my team members have given us as feedback. Our team members in this building wanted the mandate. Um, Initially, our plan was to do it as provide a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And we had a team, like a big team meeting in the break room because they were on a break and we had somebody come up to us and say, we want a mask mandate. We want that in this building. And so we, we put it in, in fairly short order after that. We, we let, you know, them give us a little feedback for a couple days that we had it. And um, so, you know, I, I had hoped, I really hoped that everyone would just do the right thing and wear their masks all the time when they're out in public and public places. But it, when when your hospital um, team members, like your doctors and the people that physically treat you, like you see them when you go in, when they are pleading, absolutely pleading with you to put in a, a man, you know, um, a, a protection that is an ordinance that makes everyone wear them all the time when they're out in public. Uh, in public places where where they you don't have the same um, where you don't have the same airflow. So when they're inside, um, you know, I I want to li- you know I'm I've listened to the doctors at the Seward Hospital and doctor mm-hmm. clinics. Um, I listen to the health department and I listen to um, UNMC and and the information that they were sharing. That's where I got my information from um, and supported putting in a mask ordinance um, temporarily in our community to help slow slow the spread, stop the surge. Yeah. So I'm going to, you know, I, I, you know, for those of you listening that are from Seward, you're very well aware of this. For those of you that are not um, from Seward, the city council recently voted to approve a mask mandate for a temporary mask mandate from the city uh, for the city of Seward. Uh, It's important to point out that, uh, you know, Nebraska, um, Governor Ricketts has not gone as far as that, but uh, Seward has. Uh, and of course, because of the day and age that we live in, there was quite, well, let me just ask you, were you surprised by the amount of pushback that it, the, the mask mandate got? No, I wasn't because I had, I had seen it in other communities um, mm-hmm. and even at the national level. Um, I, I will say I wasn't surprised, but maybe I was disappointed in the yes. level of personal, um, like uncivil discussion that took place on on social media. I mean, nobody nobody mm-hmm. comes up to you and well, I mean, maybe they do. No one has come up and said that to me to my face. Right, <laughs> so right. Maybe maybe they will if they see me out and about. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but. You know, um, I I will tell you, like, I, I got, I think we had 170 emails around that number before we voted. And I know over 100 of them, maybe 120 or so, were in support of putting in um, a ordinance. And, um, but those people weren't, they weren't on social media. <laughs> they, they, you know, were people that just emailed directly or they called or texted people, you know, who um, 
or they found me on social media and they, they private messaged me on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to emails, I guess, you know, my favorite story about having opposing views in a public forum. Um, I, I will tell you this story. It's a, it's a fabulous story about my dad. Um, my dad is a state Senator as, as you know, people in Seward might know. Um, and he's, he's, had some votes on things where he um, did not necessarily always, every constituent did not always agree with him. And my specific example of that was the death penalty. It was his first year of service. And he had um, some angry constituents reach out um, or just vocal, maybe not angry, but just vocal. And his staff was great. They took the messages. And if it was a phone call, they took the messages and, and dad would call them back and um, I was with him. We actually used to carpool into Lincoln sometimes. And he called back a constituent while I was in the car with him. And the constituent, um, his name was Don Anderson. And um, Don, Don may even listen to this podcast if we send it to him. So <laughs> <laughs> Don is um, a, a constituent in Polk County. And, and I speak very affectionately of Don because Don disagreed with my dad on his vote on the death penalty. And my dad called Don back and introduced himself. So this is Senator Coulterman. I, I understand you don't agree with me. I just want to tell you why I voted the way I did. And Don said, well, I don't agree with you, but I really appreciate you reaching out to me. And maybe I can call you on some other issues down the road. And dad said, sure, that's great. And this is my cell phone. You call me anytime. My dad and Don probably talk five days a week. Um, I've gotten to know Don, Don, um, Don has come to family events. Don came to Don and his wife came to my, um, grand opening here at this facility, my plant, uh, where I work. Um, cause, cause they've become like, you know, really close friends of ours. And, um, you know, when I lost my mom, Don and, and Carolyn were at the funeral, um, You know, and and this whole relationship started out of a disagreement on a policy position. And that's the kind of civic discussion and civic participation that I wish we still had. And I think it's there. I just think sometimes it gets, you know, kind of like blown up on social media and maybe if we take it off of there and just have one-on-one conversations maybe we can get back to that civil discourse that is, is more measured and more, you know, agree to disagree, but maybe these are the other 40 other things we do agree on, you know, and we disagree on this one issue, but we might agree on everything else. Um, So that's, that's how I'd like it, (laughs) how I'd like it to be. Yeah. I mean, you, so you've, you've grown up, your entire, you, know, you mentioned your dad as a state senator. Um, your uncle Clark famously has run the Seward Fourth of July century for for a very long time. Uh, so you've grown up around government, around civic-minded folks, and I can't fathom what it must be like to have lived through what it used to be like where right just like you were explaining people could talk on the phone and have a civil conversation and yeah maybe you disagree on this or that but look at all these things that you you know you you do agree on versus now somebody can just jump on twitter or facebook or whatever and basically just say whatever the hell they want to say and unless you know like 
you don't want to engage in that because it's engaging in futility, really. You know, like how do you stay motivated to stay in the fight when you have these this just ridiculousness coming at you? And like you said, these per, like baseless personal attacks. You know, um, well, one thing I, one thing I do, to, if I want to say like, if I want to use the word cope, I guess, you know, <laughs> I talk it out with my family. Um, mm -hmm. Like, so I have two grandmothers that I help care for. I live mm -hmm. with one of them. Um, I live in the basement. I have my own apartment in her basement. She lives upstairs. Um, she calls me her roommate. And so that's my grandma, Jean. And she, um, she was on the city council herself for many years. And so Every night when I get home, I go in and I, I spend about a half hour with her and sit on the couch and talk to her about my day. And lately I've been reading her things from the internet out loud that people oh, say, um, even sometimes the personal stuff they say about me. And, you know, she, she helps me keep perspective. She helps me, you know, even like she kind of laughed. She's like, who said that, you know? <laughs> and, and the funniest thing is when she said, do you know these people personally? And I'm like, no, I, I don't. Um, and then my mother's mother lives in town as well. And I see her every night also. And, you know, she is the grandma that loves to tell me stories from the past. A lot of really great, amazing stories about, you know, the depression and World War II that she lived through. And she's always reminding me of the, the stories of sacrifice and what they did to survive and what they did in, in their era to contribute to the greater good. And so while this is nothing like any of the level of sacrifice that people made during World War II, you know, if I guess if I have to take personal attacks on social media, in order to do something that contributes to the greater good of protecting the health and safety of my community members, I guess that's what I'm going to do as my contribution. Now it doesn't, it pales in comparison, but um, I guess if you want to personally attack me, that that is, you know, I'm okay. I have thick skin. Um, it It's, you know, I am willing to sit down with anybody who wants to talk through an issue um, and have that conversation in a civil way. Um, but, but if emails open up calling me names or, you know, with, with false premises, I, I probably am not going to get into a back and forth, especially on social media. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, and you walk around, you know, you live in Seward, you walk around the town square, you see people out and about, you know, living their their day to day lives. And it's so, you know, the thing I love about Seward is it's not a whole lot different than it was than the Seward that I grew up in. And it's that people are very nice and very approachable. You know, you can, you can be in, you know, see, you know, you know, see somebody in, in the town square and, and strike up a conversation and whatnot. And it's just so easy, you know, to have conversations with people. Um, so it's just as it, 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 to me, just confounds me that in this wonderful community that we have to resort to these kind of levels of attack. 
and it, it's it's disheartening. And I applaud you and um, Mayor Josh Eichmeyer and all the other members of the council and government that are trying to fight the fight in the light of you know people who just don't want to listen to science. And so I, I wanted to I, on know, the topic. Uh, yeah, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't think what you see on social media. I don't think that's reflective of the Seward that I, that I know personally, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think there's a very, and I, and I've seen this in my, throughout my entire career in government and uh, community relations, there's always a very vocal, loud group on either extreme side, either side. Mm -hmm. um, sure. But most of America, or at least I believe in, in Nebraska, most of, of your, your people that you see and you interact with in your job and at your church and, and, and who you run into in a community, you know, at the grocery store, wherever you happen to be in a restaurant, most people are, are not, they're, they're in the middle somewhere. They're not in, they don't have one overwhelming zealous view one way or another. They, they may have an opinion but it's 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 right you know in a they can they can disagree with you and still be agreeable. I think that's where mm -hmm. most people are, and that's the sewer that I know and love. And I think there there are there is a place for discussion on both sides, um, and varying degrees of views on issues. Um, uh, and 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 that's okay. That's that's America. That's you know we have diverse opinions in our in our country. Um, you know, as long as we stay away from personal vitriol attacks, I think dialogue and discussion is good. Well, I can't let you go without asking about the big topic on everybody's mind, which is the vaccine that 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 is going to be available soon. Um, you know, what, what are, and I, I know I'm kind of asking you to be speculative here, but how do you think it will be, you know, having been through this experience now with the ma mask mandate, how do you think it will be received? Are you and, you know, the city council members and Josh going to get your vaccines uh, in public viewing? I don't, <laughs> you know, how are, how, how, how are we going to get like, you know, those people that are so defiant about. Yeah, and I know 45%, Jessica, there's 45% that say nationally they will not get the vaccine. Yeah. So how, how, well, I intend that? to take, I intend to take the vaccine as soon as I possibly can. Um, you know, as a, as a frontline worker, there's still a debate going on um, where in the queue food processing team members will come. Um, if that moves me up in the queue, I am in line and I will willingly take it. And, and I intend to take it publicly. Most likely I'll end up taking it publicly at our facility here to mm -hmm. show team members as a leader um, that I'm on board 100% with the vaccine and, and willing to, to take it myself. Um, you know, if, if it would be helpful for me to take a second, my second dose in, in Seward in front of people who would want to see me do that, I, I guess I would be happy to do it. Um, <laughs> my mother would just absolutely not believe any of this because she used to take me to the doctor and I would try to lock myself in the bathroom because I hated needles. 
you know, uh, when I had to get my booster <laughs> shots. Sure. Um, but you know, I, I hope that, um, people will take the vaccine and I will do everything I can to make it available to our team members and to encourage our team members to partake in it. Um, but, but it also, I'm not going, you know, I don't believe that you can force people to take it. Um, and, and so, you know, if someone is very strongly opposed to taking it for whatever reason, I think we have to be respectful of that before I, I will encourage our, our team to do it. And I would encourage the public, um, you know, to do it as well. Anyone who is in, in Seward in my, you know, in the constituency that I represent um, in that community. Absolutely, I, I support it. Absolutely, absolutely. Jessica, thank you so much for taking uh, time out of your busy, busy schedule to, to talk to us and our listeners. Uh, it is really great to know that there are companies out there that are doing things the right way trying to you know keep do everything they possibly can to uh, keep you know keep their employees safe especially yeah frontline workers uh, that work in our food processing centers I I would say you know right right behind the uh, the doctors and the nurses and and uh, whatnot and the teachers maybe I guess you know you know the if police, firemen, all of these folks, you know, if, if you're working to keep the nation fed, I think you need, you need to be up in that, uh, that first cohort as well, because uh, all of the, I remember exactly what you were talking about there, like all the fear of, oh, there's not going to be any meat left and even going to grocery stores and seeing, you know, empty, you know, you know, you know empty, empty yeah. shelves and whatnot and being like, my God, am I ever going to be able to eat chicken again? Um, but you know, that <laughs> ship got righted quickly. And <laughs> if anything, I probably put weight on during the pandemic. So, uh, you know, I, that, that's just fantastic. Fantastic. Well, and kudos for going really above and beyond, you know, I come from 20 years running big box retail stores, understanding the production and, you know, logistics and understanding during this time, Jessica, other meat packing plants and other companies in Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, obviously at one point back in like April, they had the, the biggest surge, you know, accounted of the meat packing plant. So understanding from the very beginning, right. you guys were at the forefront, you were ahead of it, obviously having that great relationship with Costco when it comes to PPE and, and other supplies benefited you guys tremendously but in order to benefit and keep obviously the surge down you had to have a plan early on and you had to have leadership that understood what needed to happen right so you took the information you got you guys were not getting leadership from 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 the governor of of Nebraska so you guys took it upon yourselves to find the information get the information put a plan together and execute it and execute it over the long term, right? So in the very beginning, I was very, very, very impressed with the way retailers were cleaning carts and wiping down carts and, and, and all this stuff. And now 10 months later, 
you don't see that, right? The fatigue has set in. You see that publicly in, in a lot of brands here in Colorado Springs. And the fact that you guys have been on it and haven't stopped is phenomenal. Well, and I, and I will say one of the, re I will say that the, the governor did provide us a resource in that he pulled together all of the food processing facilities in Nebraska to talk about best practices. Um, so I will say that there was some resources put in front of us uh, through Department <laughs> of Health and Human Services um, there. Um, but but I, I do, I am proud that we jumped on this right away and really led, um, you know, our plan internally um, to do what we could to support our people um, as far back as, you know, early in the process, I guess, late February. Um, and I, and I, you know, sometimes just pouring through the CDC guidance was good. And other days you were ahead of what they were saying. So it just kind of right. depended, things have evolved. Um, and I'm just really proud of our team because they, it's taken a lot of discipline um, to protect themselves, you know, as well. And so they are to be commended for continuing to show up and continuing to work very hard and follow the guidance and take care of each other um, and, and be honest with us when they were feeling ill um, and working with us and having great communication both ways. So, I, you know, I can't, we did our best as leaders, but it really, you know, it really came down to our team working through this because they knew they this was important to contribute to keep our food supply safe and mm -hmm. and they worked hard with us to keep doing that um so i'm wildly proud of them um i i don't think you know i would put our, our team up against any team in in the world um in food processing and they they do amazing work they're committed they're diligent um and they're just really fun, good people on so many levels. Um, I'm proud. I'm proud to call them team members. Now, Jessica, I'm on your guys' corporate website, and I see that you guys are in fact hiring. Is that correct? Yeah, we're always looking for really great talent. Um, we don't have a lot of positions open, but we, um, right. if you know, somebody is interested in coming to work for us, we're always willing to visit with people. Um, I think that it's a, it's a great opportunity with a company with a lot of growth potential. And, um, you know, I, that's another thing I love about being here is, is watching team members grow, um, you know, from their first day, they might've come in to work on our line and now um, they're, they're leaders in the, you know, company and management. I mean, it's been, it's been awesome to watch some of those trajectories. And that's, you know, we've only been in business for over a little over a year. So that's only going to continue. Very cool. Very cool. Fantastic. And those, those would be uh, new hires know after listening to this podcast, exactly what you guys are doing, how you guys are doing it. Uh, the safety of the employees is, is at the forefront and has <laughs> been from the very beginning and will be until, you know, we get through this pandemic. Yeah, I um, I spend a lot of time on the floor with our team members, and I have a pink hard hat, and so that's how they know me. They call me the pink hat lady. Uh, <laughs> um, and like I said, I'm just really really proud. I enjoy the team we've built here, and. and 
looks like we're we're missing I you, Jessica. We're cutting it. Jessica, I think oh, we've I'm I'm here if you can there we go. There we go. I'm here if you can hear me. Okay. Sorry. No, no. We, we, one of the things we discuss a lot is the, the spotty internet in the world. <laughs> That's one of the things we've all had to learn to deal God with during, <laughs> during COVID. So during, Jessica, during pandemic. Yeah. Well, right. You know, everybody's online, so we need more bandwidth. And I know, uh, I know the Stutzman group is working on it, right, Bobby? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. I know you're busy, so we'll let you go. Take care and keep up the fight and the good fight. You certainly, uh, certainly have our respect, and I kind of, you know, thank you enough for everything that you do, both uh, with uh, Lincoln Premium Poultry and also your leadership in uh, Seward and the state of Nebraska. Great to talk to you guys, and take care of yourselves and stay safe. We will. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. All right, bye. All right. So we, you know, we're talking about the mask mandate and, and you know, little Seward, Nebraska. Um, and if you read the, the, the text of the mandate, it's just while you're in, you know, stores and whatnot. And so, you know, again, I think I've mentioned that here in West Hollywood, here in Los Angeles, like if you're outside of your home and you don't have a mask on, you get the stink eye, you know, right. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just the easiest thing, you know. But now here I am on CNN.com looking at what is it, Bobby, 12 states that still don't have a masking requirement. Yeah, 12 uh, you know, our home state in Nebraska and Jessica was very gracious on giving any credit to Pete Ricketts at all because he yeah. has been sidelined. He has been more concerned about political capital with the president than his oh, yeah. constituents. So Nebraska's on the list. We got Idaho, South Dakota, Arizona, Alaska, Oklahoma, Missouri. Tennessee, Mississippi, Georgia, South Carolina, and the state of Florida. Jeez. No man. And that's really interesting in Alabama because they did at one point. Uh, you know, we we follow Alabama closely. It's well documented now. Josh, my partner, is from Alabama. And yeah. Um, yeah, Alabama does. Yeah. Georgia does not. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking in the, on the wrong side. Good. Good on you, KIV. Keep it up. Gotcha. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. Well, that doesn't make that doesn't surprise me at all, Brian Kemp and all that nonsense. Um, I can't believe that all of the, am I right in saying that all of the states have certified now the, the presidential election? Yeah, with, with Georgia actually recertifying three times, right? Yeah. The yeah. initial, and the hands, the hand recount, and then the, the uh, device recount, and all three times Biden won. So he's technically won Georgia three times. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times Trump can lose this election and um, and still be able to look at himself in the mirror. I guess the guy just really likes to lose. I, I don't I don't know. But why? You know, he's still filing lawsuits. And, you know, again, like we mentioned on the last pod, I really don't have any fucks left to give about the man and or talk to him. But right. what does piss me off is that we still have right here i'm looking at michigan secretary of state says armed protesters 
have gathered outside of her home. Like what, what are, what are we doing, Bobby? Like what, yeah. what, the, what yeah, the we hell? Got that going on in Michigan. We've got uh, the lady that put together Florida's COVID dashboard being arrested. Uh, you know, they want to, they've been wanting to, to hide the uh, numbers in Florida for a long time. And now they went to her house, confiscated laptops, desktops, thumb drives, and, and various hard drives. That's and right, like yeah. she said last night on CNN, uh, if you think that's going to stop her, it's not. You know, everything's, you know, I, from what I understand, Luke, everything has been backed up to mm-hmm. multiple cloud services, you know, anticipating yeah. this could happen. So uh, that's very interesting. Very, it's, very interesting. You know, and it's just, it, it's, it's mind boggling that, you know, we, we mentioned it briefly 27, think of that number, people, 27. That is the number of elected members of Congress, so either in the House or the Senate, 27 GOP members have actually out loud uttered the words, President-elect Joe Biden. Right. And They're scared. Just, you know, everybody I, else is scared. That's why. I, I just think if, if, if they, if, God... You know, we saw that man down in Georgia who, who uh, again, uh, Gabriel Sterling, uh, uh, an election, you know, person, okay? You know, uh, a state employee being, having more courage. And he even said, he's like, I voted for Donald Trump both times, but, you know, this is enough. Enough is, is, an enough, is enough. But yet these, these elected assholes, I'm just going to say it, yep. can't, you know, have the spine to say, you know, this, this is an election. You know, and we and we lost, you know, not, not, not actually the, the GOP did relatively good in the election. Donald Trump lost the the election. Yeah. Uh, you know, <clears throat> and then here's some more numbers for you, Luke. December yeah. 1st through December 7th, while the president and Giuliani are trying to overturn the election, uh, we have over a million, 1.3 million new covid cases over 16,000 deaths in that time frame in one week, the first week of December. And now we're looking at, so basically that 16,000 was half, half of all the deaths from the flu last year. Jeez. So those that still continue, you know, we talked with Jessica about the Seward Council. As soon as that was announced, uh, you know, the mask mandate, and I was hoping it would come to that. Obviously, we've got a lot of friends and family still in the area. Of course. Um, you know, Seward Hospital has been screaming at the top of their lungs publicly on social media, as well as employees of that hospital screaming to wear their masks. That's and right. finally, the, the city council did what was right and, you know, approved the mask mandate. But as soon as it was approved... It was just venom from so many people on the Seward community chat uh, that doesn't, you know, they don't care about the science. They don't care about who they infect. They just care about themselves. Yeah. And, and it is like, you know, I'm looking at this, uh, this article, you know, about uh, from the Atlantic, the grim conclusions of the largest ever study of fake news. You know, we can talk about, you know, 
Twitter and Facebook and, you know, you know, the, all these different outlets and how they're, you know, the, the more click something gets, the more, like you said, you know, you, you pay a few bucks, you, you put out whatever the hell you want it to say, and it just goes around and around yeah. and around. And it's so much more likely, you know, to be seen, uh, you know, than something that is actually based in scientific fact. And, you know, you're like, oh, God, Twitter, YouTube, like, or what I mean, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, you go on the Seward community chat, and there's people saying conspiracy theories about drones dropping the virus <laughs> around, and that's how it got off the coasts and into the, the rural areas. And then somebody else piping up and said, yep, yep, Bill Gates, you know, he said there'd be a pandemic and he's open, he, he, he's openly said he's uh, believes the planet is overpopulated. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? Right, right. <laughs> like, well, we, and, you know, understand, you know, the landscape, you know, back, you know, back before social media, companies were able to call, literally call thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people a day with spam calls using what's called a dialer, right? It's yeah, hosted in yeah. a data center and they can literally dial hundreds of thousands of people an hour. And now with the invent of social media and, you know, the uh, targeting, you know, the targeted marketing that has come now with it, there are now things called bots and the bots can literally post thousands of, of, of segments or, you know, thousands of pieces of misinformation every hour. And if you're associated with, you know, Fox news or some of these, these conspiracy theory groups, your inbox, you know, you click, you know, most recent, and you're going to have just, you know, your whole newsfeed is going to be littered and filled with nothing but conspiracy theory. So on one hand, I completely understand it because I've seen it firsthand. When we created a fake Facebook account, liked a few of these companies, and all of a sudden within 45 minutes, the new, you know, your news feed is just hammered with conspiracy theories. You know, but you know, on on our end, Luke, I mean, it's very, very sad that you know the people in Seward, Nebraska at the hospital fighting this pandemic, trying to save lives are screaming for people to wear masks to socially distance. And then there's people yeah. just, just spewing venom and hate and bullshit on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, God, we're so, we're, we're so caught up in the weeds and that shit. Meanwhile, you know, I'm looking at a Wa uh, Washington Post article here, you know, millions of Americans. I mean, literally, you know, we've been talking about this cliff, right? So millions of Americans right now are headed into uh, the end of the year, into the holidays and New Year's, uh, unemployed for the first time, more than $5,000 behind on rent, uh, all of the rent moratoriums uh, for the most part are going to start you know, expiring which means all of these people will be subject to eviction. Okay. Yeah. And that's a, that's a ripple effect folks. That's not just, yeah, it sucks if you're the renter and you get evicted, but that means that the owner, the landlord is not getting paid. And that means that maybe he can't pay, 
his, his mortgage or bills or whatnot. And that yep. just ripples on through the economy. And meanwhile, we finally have four brave senator, GOP senators that have said that they've got, you know, they've worked with the Democrats in, in, uh, in, in, in the Senate to find a compromise. It's a compromise bill. Look, guys, it's not everything that the Dems want. It's not everything that the Republicans want. It, that's what a compromise bill is. But what it would do is give, um, you know, give people that are currently employed a little bit more money. I think it's not the 600. I think it's like the $300, um, which would be great. Uh, and it also uh, will, will help with, uh, you know, some of these rent moratoriums and whatnot. And most importantly, so yeah, it's, let's see, rental assistance um, and small, it would re-up the, the small business support programs. So these small businesses that are still struggling will be able to make it a few more months. And yet here we are sitting, waiting, you know, we've got Nancy Pelosi on Congress ready to sign it. We've got a, a majority of senators ready to vote for it. But Mitch McConnell is still insisting that this doesn't go through unless, first of all, he thinks the 908 billion is too much. Remember, we started at what, 3 trillion with right, the, the Democrats right. deal? $908 billion package does not include the $1,200 stimulus check. And, and right, so it does not have direct uh, taxpayer stimulus checks, mm -hmm. but he still is insisting that it covers blanket immunity for any company any company that is not acting responsibility and therefore employees die, it is he's he's still insisting, and the president has basically said he will not sign anything that McConnell doesn't sign off on. You know, you've got Pelosi and Schumer saying we're not letting our members go home for the holidays until something is done, right. and you've got McConnell for whatever reason still hiding up the president's ass like the scared turtle he is, and millions of Americans literally about to fall off the cliff. Right. What, right. Where are we going here? What are we doing? Well, you know, if you recall, you know, early on when when Trump signed that executive order to uh, require that meatpacking plants stay open, you know, the right. Tyson foods right. and all that, you know, there was no plan. There was no testing. Uh, employees mm -hmm. were getting, you know, were popping positive, a very ill, a mm -hmm. lot of deaths. And if they give it, you know, give companies like that blanket immunity, they're, you know, everything that Jessica and Lincoln premium poultry you know, is, is doing themselves would, would not be required out of anybody. Right. Correct. Correct. What they're doing at Lincoln premium poultry, they are doing, you know, and again, good, good for her for trying to give a nod to Ricketts. They are doing it because it's the, the responsible thing to do. No one's right. making them do it. Right. And this so didn't have to get with the hell, you know, if they were just going by the leadership of Ricketts setting aside, yeah spearheading a meeting between business and, and health department. Cause obviously he has not moved into action with that information himself. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, but companies like Lincoln premium poultry leadership, like Jessica Coulterman is, is the reason why they've, they've kept, 
you know, kept the curve down, why they've kept, you know, for the majority of, of these last 10 months, kept COVID out of their facility, you know, and yet just to think that, well, we're not going to test, we're not going to require masks and, you know, and just watch the infection just spread through their facility. Obviously in a, in a meatpacking planet, it's, it, it was proven early on in this pandemic. It doesn't take long, you know, there's going to be a lot more deaths, you know, a lot more sick and that's going to, you know, affect the supply chain, getting product to the stores, you know, and everything else. So, right. uh, you know, I don't understand their thinking here. I mean, this is going to have, you know, you know, if we think not paying rent has a huge ripple effect, you know, imagine all these meat processors, you know, meat processors and meat packing plants, if they were just to go full bore, no accountability, who gives a shit? Right. I mean, we'd be right. lucky to get anything to the shelf. Right. Meanwhile, we've got, you know, more Americans seeking help at uh, food banks than ever before in history. Uh, I think I mentioned it in the last time, uh, more first time applicants for, you know, for food benefits and, and whatnot. Um, we've got a lot of suffering out there and Congress is playing this dangerous game. And so, yeah, that's what, you know, we say all eyes on Georgia right now because, you know, the Democrats are in a really vicarious position and the Democrats have basically said now we are, like I said, we're staying here. We're getting something passed, you know, whatever happens in Georgia, you know, we're going to get something passed and we're going to make sure that before the holidays, Americans get some sort of relief. Right. On the other hand, you have the Republicans kind of hedging their bets, saying the Dems are going to have to win both of those seats in the Senate to get uh, control. God, I hope Stacey Abrams is it in her or, or organizers are able to pull it off. Reality of the matter, if we get one out of two, that's good. I mean, believe me, I'm, I'm not trying to jinx it, knock on wood. I'm hoping for a two out of two, but, you know, going with the numbers, you know, you know, then the, then Mitch McConnell is sitting back fat and sassy saying, well, shit, I'm still going to have control of the Senate. So I'm just I'm going to tell you to stick your uh, right. bipartisan bill where the sun don't shine and I'll, you know, play my cards when I come back from my winter holidays. Yeah. It's the, the abdication of responsibility to the normal working man and woman is disgusting. And he represents Kentucky. We're not talking about a state that has zero poverty, you know. Right. I, I, you know, there are people in his home state, like there are people in every state in America that are suffering right now. And for them to be playing this dangerous game with Americans lives, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's, it's damn well depressing. And well, so you know, what's been really beautiful to see of the Senate run, a runoff in Georgia is that on the democratic side, our candidates are in lock and step, you know, yes. they're together. Yes. The messaging is, yep. is spot on the GOP after this weekend with Trump having that rally there. I mean, it is a oh fucking train wreck. What a shit And show. we just need to get out of their way. Yeah. I mean, instead of doing what he was there to do, which is shore up the base, yep. make sure his base shows up for these two Republican candidates. Uh, he spent, I'd say, at least 85, if not more, 90% right? of the time, just his typical grievance. It was rigged. Georgia's, broke, Georgia's voting system is broken. You know, just 
absolutely ridiculous. And then did you also notice over the weekend that um, Joel Ossoff had to have a debate with an empty podium? Yes. Because yes. Purdue Thank you. Even, Thank you. <laughs> wouldn't even sh- Purdue wouldn't even bother to show up to debate nice. Nice because to he got his ass handed to him. Stock to, to show up at a debate. Yeah, because he got his ass handed to him in the first debate and didn't want to nope. get embarrassed again. I mean, it's it is the the Republicans. They will win if they win. They will win in spite of themselves. They are such a shit show right now. Versus correct the other side. You know, Warnock and off Ossoff unified message. This is what we can do if you give us the Senate. Everything that Joe Biden ran on is on the table. If we don't win these, if we don't win these runoffs, then the vast majority of the things that Biden and all the Democrats through the primaries ran on, you know, are just going to end up in legislative purgatory on Mitch McConnell's fucking desk. Right, right. You know, and out of the 36, you know, lawsuits or cases in Michigan and Georgia, Pennsylvania, that the Trump administration have filed, right? 35 have been kicked. The only one that was positive for the administration was what up in Pennsylvania, when they were able to get a few feet closer to the monitoring right. process. Right. That's right. it. Everything that was, else yeah, in the kicked, moment. Yeah. yeah. Not a shred of evidence. And yet people that we know in Seward, even Seward, Nebraska mm-hmm. are claiming the election was stolen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Meanwhile, we have a new nominee for the uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, and it's Javier Becerra, our current uh, attorney general here in California, who was on the shortlist for attorney general as well. And so people might be kind of scratching their head as to why he would be tapped for health and human services well because they couldn't get it through done through congress we know the republicans have been uh pretty much since the jump trying to get uh the uh, the affordable health care act uh restricted or completely thrown out through the courts and javier becerra has been pivotal in many of those cases uh arguing on uh on you know on the behalf of the american people quite frankly, because let's remember this whole pre-existing conditions thing. How many people have we now had with positive infection rates or positive infections for COVID? Right. All of them. Yeah. So now we're looking at what almost 130 million people with pre-existing conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a great pick. Uh, Health and Human Services is a huge, huge bureaucracy. It includes Medi-Cal, Medicaid, the ACA, um, the Centers for Disease Control, the National Health Institute. Um, And so his experience running as uh, Kamala let everyone know during the primaries, the only the second largest justice department in the country behind the U.S. Department of Justice itself. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Javier Becerra has been running the California Justice Department, which in its of itself is a giant bureaucracy. So he will be, I think, well suited for this position. And uh, I was, yes, I was surprised like many. uh, But then when I actually read the resume and got into his history, it made all the sense in the world. And of course, that means 
we have a, a, Hispan a Hispanic uh, secretary level position, which is fantastic, as Joe Biden continues to keep his promise of creating a cabinet that looks like America. Right. You know, the thing with Javier, too, is he understands everything about the ACA, the man, you know, the mandates, the, you know, the inclusion of 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 all the carriers. And then, you know, the last 10 years, the GOP has tried to strip it and tried to, you know, eliminate it altogether. And they had nothing to replace it with. But obviously, right. Biden and his team, which, you know, now includes uh, it, you know, the HHS secretary, you know, we want to improve on that, you know, because even Obama has said numerous times that, hey, the ACA or Obamacare is is by no means perfect. We we right. you know we need to improve on it. And that's kind of where we're at. So, uh, you know, why not get the guy that was, you know, implemental and in passing it in the first place? Correct. Correct. And the other thing, how could I leave it out that will fall under uh, health and human services is, of course, the ongoing, um, the ongoing battle with COVID, which we are now officially about to enter what I have dubbed the vaccine wars. Yes, not vaccine wars as in they're competing against each other. You know, no, no, the vaccine wars that will be fought out on the in the streets of the United States of America, starting off with a hearing in the United States Senate in Washington, D.C. <sighs> that will be led up. That will be the woman that will be testifying at the hearing is Dr. Jane M. Orient of the federal health officials. Uh, to do as to do, do excuse me, I lost the organization that she represents association. Uh, she's the executive director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, a group that opposes government involvement in medicine and views federal vaccine mandates as a violation of human rights. So what in the hell are the Republican senators doing that called this woman up to Capitol Hill? I, you know what, I, I don't know what their intention is. Um, <clears throat> but what I found very interesting these last 24 hours was for mm -hmm. months now, the, you know, Donald Trump himself at rallies through the summer, hey, we've got a, a vaccine, it's coming around the corner, blah, blah, blah. We've got it all lined up. We're going to be the first, we're going to be the best. Nobody's going to do it better. And then Pfizer comes out yesterday and publicly states that because the Trump administration did not sign the agreement early on, that we may not get bulk doses of the Pfizer vaccine until next summer. My God. Yeah, he, he, he has bungled this. He has bungled this pandemic and our preparationness, preparedness of this pandemic from word go. And now, you know, as if th that news isn't bad enough, here we come with a new study, uh, you know, that was published a couple of days ago in the Times showing that natural immunity, meaning that if you've had COVID, you really should go ahead and get the vaccine anyway. It's, right. it's not like the chicken pox. You, right. you, you can get it. You can get it multiple times. There are, you know, different variations of it. What we're looking at is it 
being more like a flu type vaccine where guess what? Every year there's a new formulation and every year you know you need to go get your treatment. Right. So not only, you know, you know, oh God, all these idiots, Scott Atlas and the crew about herd immunity, herd immunity, herd immunity. Well, herd immunity only can start if people are actually immune to the virus. And right now, the only surefire way that they have found at least 90, what, 94.5% effective right. is the vaccine. Right. So, and we still don't know how long the, vas- you know, the vaccine is going to last. You know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so in the meantime, folks, the best thing to do is still wear your masks, wash your hands, limit the amount of people that you are exposed to during the day, stay at home as much as you can. I mean, guys, this is not going away anytime soon. You know, I, I, uh, speaking of Seward, Nebraska, I love going back to Seward for the 4th of July. And uh, obviously this past year for the 4th of July, uh, it was canceled for the first time in its 200 and uh, its 150 plus year history, right. um, which was a very difficult decision uh, for the people in the community who had to make that decision. There was a lot of pushback around that. Uh, not shocking. Um, and I really hope to get to go to Seward for the 4th of July this year. It'd be, it'd be great to be able to make it back. And it's also, uh, I think we have some kind of uh, a reunion or something going on, Bobby. I don't yeah. Know. We got, tw- 20, I was 25, 20, 20, 25. I think, I, I think yep, that's the, yeah. Yep. And you know, <laughs> living here in Colorado, Colorado is beautiful year round, but when it comes to the fourth, you cannot light off fireworks and being from Seward, where fire, yeah. you know, fireworks yep. is paramount. We also love going back for the fourth and, yep. you know, spending same, time same with family here. and friends. And so, you know, you know, fingers crossed, maybe, you know, maybe this summer, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah. So before we, you know, I hope so. And I hope these vaccines get rolled out and we're able to roll forward with it. So um, I know we're winding up here, but I want to, I want to mention a story that really, you know, it really got, to me, uh, I, I, I'm losing track. Several episodes ago, I, I, I lost, uh, well, not lost. Several uh, episodes ago, I shared kind of my coming out story and my experience of growing up and not really being my true self uh, at, in high school, you know, really. Um, and it wasn't until college that I really started to feel more comfortable with who I am in my skin. Yes, well, that was young- episode four, Luke. Yes, there you go, episode four. So here's a young man in Abilene, Texas, okay, that is very comfortable with who he is, uh, identifies as a gay young man, and in order to uh, express himself, decided that he wanted to start wearing uh, fingernail polish uh, to school. You know, it's, I, I, I'm looking at a picture of him with its black fingernails with some, some flames drawn on them. You know, and then he's got other pictures with other, uh, you know, fingernail polishes. Here's one with the, the the rainbow colors and whatnot. Yeah. Well, guess what happened to this young man? Well, the school. <clears throat> so Clyde High School in Abilene, Texas, suspended young Trevor Wilkinson, saying that him wearing uh, makeup or nail polish. He was, he was not wearing makeup. I just want to make that clear. Not that it matters if he did, but, but his, 
his wearing nail polish would impede his ability to learn. Yes, that is the official reason they gave for suspending him, which means at this same high school, all the all the girls, all the the, you know, the young women at this high school, essentially what they're saying is none of them learn. Right. That's right. They uh, they're saying, ladies, you know, you you just are here to you wear your makeup and your 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 uh, your nail polish. And I bet you they're they don't mind the short skirt down there in Abilene, Texas. And uh, you're here just to look pretty. The book learnings for the boys and boys don't paint your fingernails because you if you paint your fingernails, you automatically don't learn either. I, is it 2020? Is it almost 2021? I, I'm looking at the calendar here and I, I feel like it's 1950 something. I don't, yeah. don't, I, I don't understand. And I'm currently <laughs> on the Clyde High School website and just want to say to Joe Webb, the principal, feel free to go fuck yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the kid, I mean, good for him. He's fighting back. He uh, here on the, he, you know, on his Twitter, he's got uh, the contact information for the high school. And, uh, you know, he's got nearly 60,000 people who have signed a petition supporting him. Uh, you've got uh, celebrities from Machine Gun Kelly to Harry Styles proudly sporting their fingernail polish. Um you know, in support of this young man, it's just fingernail polish, folks. It, it's it's not, I mean, especially in the light of everything else that we're dealing with in the world right now. He, you know, his quote is, I just don't understand why it's any kind of a big deal. Buddy, I could not agree with you more. Right. I just, fuck those guys the 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 superintendent and the principal of that school and you know let, let let let's get let's get our heads you know out of our asses and let's start really uh educating our kids and supporting them you know whether they're gay straight purple or polka dotted it's just that come on we're better than this yep um on a on, on the flip side of that coin though I am very happy to announce that uh, on Monday, the Supreme Court declined to take up an appeal from Oregon parents who wanted transgender, um, uh, transgender students to have to use the bathroom based on the sex on their birth certificate. So right. here we go this again with, the, yeah, this was with the fucking bathroom wars like my god come on <laughs> it just it's just the, yeah it, it, it is it, it was huge and i and i'm thrilled you know that the, the supreme court basically what that means is when the supreme court doesn't pick something up it gets it kicked back to the lower lower court and whatever their ruling was which is to allow this policy of allowing students to use whatever restroom they feel most comfortable with their gender identity uh, feel you know um and so it was a uh, it, it, it was a nice win. Uh, it was a nice win in in you know you look at one kid getting suspended for wearing nail polish, and so it was a nice win here. Um, especially when we've seen other court decisions not go so well right. 
Um, right. you know, for, I, I, I saw, I can't, forgive me. I don't remember the exact details, but a, uh, a young woman who was not allowed to, you know, who identifies as a, as a, as a, as a, ma- as a male, well, they're in high school. So I guess they're still boys. Right. Um, yeah. but she was not allowed to wrestle on the, uh, boys wrestling team because, right. uh, she was not physically a woman. And I'm like, what's what's wrong, boys? You afraid? Right. <laughs> I mean, I just right. it just pisses me off so much. I don't mean to make light of it because there's nothing light about it. It's like when God, when can we just let kid? Let's quit. Let's quit screwing up our kids. Let's quit putting let's our own let them hangups be who on they them. Are, yeah. Accept it. Do a much better job understanding it and let them be. Absolutely. Because I'm still learning, Luke. I mean, all these yeah. gender, yeah. you know, identities and, you know, I just, you know, I've been reading a lot about it and getting a lot, you know, a better understanding of it. And, you know, once you understand, you know, as a, you know, and I look at this as a scope of, of a parent, I've got teenagers and, you know, you know, if they came to me today and said, hey, I am X because, or not even explain it. Just say, hey, mm-hmm. here's mm-hmm. who I am. It's, you know, they're going to be accepted. Now, as a parent, I need to understand exactly what that means, right? Right. You know, right. being gay is one thing, but, you know, coming in and being, what was the term we used a few weeks ago with, with <laughs> Harry Styles? Non, non-binary yes. or, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, understanding exactly. that it's not about even the sex, it's about the mm-hmm. person, about their characteristics. And, right. Exactly. You know, it's been really, you know, it's been really uh, engaging. It's been eye opening to understand that there's so many different types of, of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we grew up, it was basically a three, right? You were gay, straight, or bi. Right. And and now there's so many and I've I've spent a lot of time doing my due diligence. So, yeah, yeah, it's been. Yeah. And we've got, uh, you know, Ellen Page, who, you know, has had been out as a lesbian, has now come out as non-binary herself and is going to start going by Elliot Page. Uh, The trick there is going to be to see if Elliot Page keeps getting roles and, you you know, that that would be the signal of, you know, it's, it's great when when celebrities lead the way and, you know, own their sexuality. But Hollywood has a very bad, very troubled history of saying, oh, you're out. That's OK. So you will be that you will be cast as that for, from right. here and forever. So I, I'm hoping uh, Elliot Page, you know, all of the best. And then, you know, like I mentioned, you know, I I. All you can do as a parent, you know, I'm not a parent, but I have a history of working with kids and, you know, to hear you, Bobby, say what you just said, you know, and it makes me feel like we're on the right path because as a parent, all you can do is listen to your kids, love your kids and learn and learn and go on this journey with them. And, uh, you know, I think that's fantastic. I think I've mentioned in the past that uh, one of my good colleagues has a teenage daughter, a sophomore in high school this year, and she, one of her best friends, uh, formerly Ashley, is now Ash, 
and is identifying as non-binary. Um, so, you know, he and I have had uh, many a conversation about that and it's just, just right. they're kids, they're friends, right. you know, there's nothing. It's the problem that the LGBTQ plus community has faced forever is that we are hyper sexualized. That is all anybody wants to think about when they think about LGBTQ plus non-binary, et cetera, is the sex element of it. And it right. really, really very much so has nothing to do with that because think of yourself as a human being and think of all the things that make up your personality. And now think of what percentage of that is, is defined by your sexuality. You know, it, right. it, it's, it's, there, there's a million, what I always used to say, you know, when I was going through my, my uh, coming out was that, you know, there's a million things that define me as a person who I am attracted to is one of those million things. Right. So, you know, we, it's, it's us, it's the adults. It's, we are the ones that are, have these hangups. The kids, the kids are all right. Believe me, the kids, the kids are all right. Uh, it's us that put, uh, it's no different than uh, misogyny, bigotry, racism. These are learned traits. You don't, nope. you don't, you don't, you're not, you don't come out of the womb with these things. Okay. Right. So, you know, if we as adults can, can, you know, set the right example, you know, it'll only continue getting better from here. Well, and until we were prepping for that, um, episode episode four and you know five you know harry styles you know and mm -hmm. everything that vanity fair had to say and he had to say in that article if you were to come to me the week before and said hey what's what's non-binary mean i i wouldn't have an idea mm -hmm. but now i do i i understand what you know from harry's perspective what it means to him and reading other articles, you know, not just celebrities, but just regular people, what it means to them and the other identities. And I mean, it's been, it's been a, you know, a, a huge wake up for me, just seeing where it's gone from when we were kids and growing up as teenagers to where it's at now. And, you know, and really it just takes a little bit of effort to understand what it means if someone says non-binary, hey, I get yeah. it. I understand. Yeah. And so there is just just to clarify. So the non-binary, right, is really not personally identifying with either gender specifically or identifying with characteristics of both. Right. Pansex pansexuality. Pansexuality is, being, is another one. Yep. Is another one, which is being attracted to just another person not based on the physical characteristics of that person. And right. I just, I think it's a beautiful thing, you know, because think about, you know, whoever you're spending your life with. And yes, I'm, yes, obviously the sexual attraction is there. We're human beings, but think about all of the things that made that the person that you wanted to spend the rest with your, of your life with think all the things that make you love that person. You know, there, there's yep. just so much more to human beings than your sexuality. You know, right. that, that's basically the, the long and the short of it is, you know, looks fade, bodies change, you know, but your personality for the most part is, is pretty, 
pretty set, you know, once, once you, you know, yes, of course we all learn and grow and keep on moving, but there are characteristics of your personality that make you fall in love with that person. Right. So, and, uh, you know, that, at least to me, you know, and I've shared this before, I'll say it again. Yeah. I dated girls and whatnot, but it was that emotional connection that I never was able to really feel with a woman that when I started dating men there, that emotional connection on a deeper level start, I un finally understood what that meant. Right. So now, now was that instant or did that take time as well? of course it took time of course like i mean when i started dating men i had to get over my own hang-ups of like right. oh my god i'm on a date with a good dude like is this look okay right. you know like <laughs> you know like i come on <laughs> you know there was no, it wasn't like somebody just flicked the switch in my head and i was like aha yeah. um but over time and and even then it wasn't until I met the, the the person who would become my first boyfriend per se that I actually was like, oh, I really like this person as a human being, and I feel this emotional connect. I feel this desire to want to be with them. You right. Know? You and were in so, college, correct? Yes, I was in college when that happened. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it's and everybody's journey is different, and I think it's fantastic that kids that feel that they can be open and be who they are. And so that's why this particular case down in Texas uh, just pisses me off so fucking much because who cares? What difference does it possibly make that this kid has fingernail polish on and, you know, identifies as, as gay, you right. know, just enough, like just stop, just absolutely stop it with, the vitriol. It, it, yeah. And it sounds weird. like the school was well, well aware that this was a gay person or a gay man. Yes. Young man. Yes. His friends understood that. But as soon as yep. he started painting his nails, it became, you know, it, it was an issue. Right. Right. Which, they were like, we're happy to, we're happy that it's like, you go ahead and be you. But the second you start acting like you, you, yeah. you got, you got to go. Yeah. I just, I, 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 well, would you would you like a, an up note? I actually found something yes. this morning that I I, I just uh, I <laughs> it just tickles me pink. Get on Lifetime's Twitter feed right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God! This Sunday, <laughs> at this Sunday, the thirteenth. Yeah, the thirteenth at twelve p.m. A recipe for seduction, starring. Mario Lopez as Colonel Sanders. <laughs> and believe me, it is Colonel Sanders like you have never seen him before. <laughs> it's apparently a uh, 15 minute short, uh, you know, sponsored obviously by KFC, but there's, uh, there's M Mario Lopez in full uh, sexy Sanders get up with a, uh, uh, salt and very, pepper hair, uh, attractive woman. Yeah, the salt and pepper hair. Got the the classic uh, mustache with the the chin duster thing. Uh, a much <laughs> uh, a much sexier way of wearing the classic black bow tie. Uh, <laughs> this, anyway, <laughs> you know, this is it's like the cover of a bad novel. 
It is. I, it is absolutely the cover of any of those, you know, romance novels that your mom or sisters or whoever might have you might have seen reading growing up. Um, <laughs> it, it, that's exactly what it reminded me of. Good call, Bobby. And then before we leave, I wanted to give our audience and our listeners uh, kind of a precursor of what we got going on on Saturday for our our 10th episode. Yes, we are, some not more done, we are not done with some powerful women. That's right. That's right. We have got uh, some more classmates, uh, some more uh, people that are working the front lines. So uh, Miss Megan Stenson actually works the front lines at the Seward Hospital. She's been one of those that have been very vocal about people in the Seward community and Seward County uh, to wear their masks. And then we've got two other women uh, that have actually adopted nurses here locally in the state of Colorado, as well as other hospitals in Kansas City and in Nebraska, adopting nurses. And that was a topic that Luke and I discussed in our last podcast where we actually had adopted was about 30 nurses. Yeah, something like that. We'll 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 be getting the number. We'll 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 be getting the the number uh, verified, <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure we'll go. be giving more go. as well. Yes. So yeah, we'll, we're going to be able to talk firsthand uh, with with people on the front lines, and then obviously those that have been working, uh, you know, tirelessly to get you know various frontline workers you know, adopted and getting them care packages and everything like that. So, you know, we're really excited about uh, this Saturday. Yeah, it's it's just super exciting. As soon as they get all of the nurses in one facility taken care of, they they just keep on rolling. So now they've, they've handled a, 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 a hospital in Lincoln, uh, our hometown hospital in Seward. Now they're working on a hospital, I believe, in Colorado. Um, so they just keep, they just keep going as long as people keep donating. And of course, all of the links and ways to get involved will be available yes. uh, on our Facebook as well. As I just found the post from Mr. Trevor Wilkinson himself, that uh, it's him with his fingernail polish flipping off the camera saying, guess who's, who is still sitting in uh, now in school suspension, and it has the phone number and uh, email address of the superintendent and principal of Clyde High School uh, listed here. So that'll be up on my Facebook and link to Very the cool. uh, unfiltered page real quick because I'll be uh, also sending an email to them shortly. <laughs> Absolutely. We want to thank our sponsor, the Stutzman Group. We want to thank all of the listeners across six continents now. I want to thank my co-host, Luke, and we'll thank talk you, to you Bobby. soon. Talk to you soon, Bobby. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Mask up. Mask up, baby.